and illness can become an all-consuming experience. Hi, and welcome to I Am Not My Pain podcast. I am your host, Melissa, a chronic pain sufferer for over 20 years, and I know firsthand how pain can easily take over your life and isolate you from others. But the truth is, we are so much more than our pain and illness, and we are not alone. There are millions of fellow warriors on their own journey. Join me as we hear real stories of people living with pain and illness, their challenges, their victories, and the treatments they use to get through the day. I am not my pain, and neither are you. Welcome back to I Am Not My Pain podcast. On last week's episode, I was speaking with Samantha Moss, or Sam. Sam once had a successful management career in financial services in Australia until a bowel prolapse in 2014 started her health challenges. She now manages complex, idiopathic, rare bone disease, along with many autoimmune diseases such as rheumatoid arthritis. Her rare bone disease causes constant pathological broken bones and severe pain. Sam started Medical Musings with Friends, an online support group which is now 1,800 members strong. She also started a podcast and wrote a book based on her blog called My Medical Musings, A Life of Love, Laughter, Faith, and Hope as I Learned to Live Again with a Rare Disease, currently being sold on Amazon. On the last episode, Sam told her remarkable and honestly whirlwind of a story, and she dived into the importance of replacing what you have lost with something new, especially when you're living with chronic pain and illness. In today's episode, we'll hear the rest of Sam's interview on how she adapted her life so her pain, as she would say, is a part of her life, but not her whole life, and how Sam maintains her perspective during challenging times. Let's dive into the rest of this interview. I touched on my next question, which, uh, you know, was how you started the process of finding ways to adapt your life, you know, and not let your yes. completely take over it and not be all of you, as you like to say, which I love. Yeah. But, you know, you did say it by the, you know, the, the lists, which is so important, yeah. replace what you've lost in a way, and it may not be perfect. But it, you know, you have to find those things. But is there anything else that you'd want to mention about yeah. it? Yeah, I guess, you know, because you, you have said, you know, how did I, how did I find ways to adapt mm-hmm. your life, I guess. But for the first year when I um, medically retired, I actually did very little. I mm-hmm. took that time just to, just to take stock, I guess, and to allow everything to waft over me because so much at that point had happened, you know. Um, by that point, I, I did have the whole three things, you know, in my world and it was a lot. And, you know, I had time to uh, prepare to get a stoma, for example. That's still a huge life-changing thing to have. It's quite surreal. I, I remember sitting there thinking, oh, my goodness, <laughs> I've got this bag on my stomach that's going to be there for the rest of my life, and this is kind of weird. <laughs> I bet it is. it is. Yes. <laughs> it's, you know, let's face it, it is. It's not normal, yeah, is it, you know? The moment um, you realise it's permanent, like it's going to be here. Yeah, yes, exactly. And, you know, there was some, in the early days, there were some really interesting things that happened, and my husband and I just kind of 
stood there a few times and just went, okay, well, I think we'll just laugh about this. <laughs> no one else we can do. I know how um, much. I know. Um, so anyway, but it's, and we're good at laughing at things, so that was good. That kind of helped. That's a good key, actually, as well. I think don't forget to laugh. You know, it's okay to laugh. Often think that because they've got chronic illness, that they need to show people that they're suffering all the time, mm. and because in case they're not believed, I think there's there's a sense of that, and I think that that's a real shame because we need to live our lives and we need to be happy, and if we're feeling happy and we want to laugh even if we're in pain, we should be able to do that. You know, it's important. So I think we need to worry less about what other people think and just be in the moment and. We want to laugh, laugh. We want to cry, we'll cry. <laughs> right. I, well, think, um, I think that's what helps having, you know, community around us with others that get all this, you know, that we can yeah. laugh with them and not feel that judgment, yeah. fear yeah. of like, oh, they don't, they don't believe that I'm sick because I look like I had a good time tonight, you know, exactly. and, and yeah. then you think that in your head the whole time and you're like, oh, they probably, they think that I'm fine and I should be doing more and, and all those yeah. things. But with people that really get it, 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 it helps. Yeah, it does. So I took that year and I think that that was a really good thing for me to do. After a year, my brain wouldn't stop buzzing. Um, and I, you know, I was missing the buzz of work and and it was a really, you know, huge job that I had and I loved it. But, it, you know, I missed it. I missed all of that. I missed the rat race and everything. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought, you know, my body might be failing me, but my brain was very much still alive and I needed to do something to keep my brain active and I think if I hadn't have done that I would have don't keep your mind active I think it 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 does then allow too much time for us to think too much mm-hmm. and then again you know you can don't go down that dark place if, if we're not careful okay well what can I do so I had always wanted to write I did a heap of writing at work anyway you know I used to write um, newsletters and communications and booklets and training and all kinds of stuff always had this dream of I was going to retire and you know (laughs) go on a remote island and write a book well um and I was going to retire healthily obviously well none of that yes that's always the plan (laughs) (laughs) so I retired and I didn't I wasn't on a remote island but or maybe Australia's a remote island I don't know um anyway so I decided you know, I, I, I'll start writing. I'd, I'd never blogged, always kept a journal, a personal journal. Um, but I thought I wanted to do something different. I wanted to, you know, write sort of, I guess, more articles, I suppose. So I did. I started a blog and um, I didn't have a clue who was going to read it, but I thought <laughs> I'd do it anyway. I was volunteering for um, an organisation in Australia called Arthritis Queensland and I had set up a, a uh, online support forum for them uh, called Swell Gals, which is still going, and it's a, a group for women who have inflammatory arthritis, and it's an amazing um, a support group as well. And I now also look after a group uh, for parents who have children with juvenile idiopathic arthritis, mm. and uh, that's a really amazing honour to do that. And it's quite sad. I mean, some of the the children are you know babies and have horrible arthritis from from birth um, you know right through to their teenage years so um, it's an honor to support those parents so I was doing that work with Arthritis Queensland and um, so I had, I had a bit of an audience for my blog so that was good um, and then I, I decided to submit an article to the Mighty the online magazine mm-hmm. um, that focuses on chronic illness and I thought oh well I may as well why not you know <laughs> I've got time on my hands let's see what happens I published it straight away but what I wasn't expecting was they would promote my blog 
And I had also just started Medical Musings with Friends, which is my support forum. And I'd started that because the, the work that I was doing with Arthritis Queensland was amazing. But when you're working for a particular organisation for a particular disease, support forums for them focus on that disease only generally. And mm -hmm. lots of people I was finding had um, all those side dishes that I talked about. Yes. So it wasn't just one thing, it was lots of other things. And they really wanted to be able to talk quite holistically about what was happening with their health. And I thought, you know, it feels like there's a real need for that. And so I just set up this this forum and the people from Swell Gals, that as well. But when I say a lot, I mean, it's quite a big group. There was only about 50, I think, that came over to, to my group. But with with Swell Girls as well. But yeah, but I still thought it was nice. We were starting to talk about, you know, more holistic things and, and it was, we could talk about anything as well, which was really nice, you know, because um, I like that in forums as well. If somebody wants to talk about their dog or their grandma or whatever else, you know, I think that's really important to create community and um, not just talk about health, but talk about anything. The Mighty advertised my forum. And within literally four weeks, I had a thousand members globally. We've worked really hard to keep it to keep the culture one of um, non-judgment, um, complete friendship. And, you know, you hear a lot about forums and people getting really awful, yeah. you know, between. It just doesn't happen. And I, I honestly don't know why <laughs> um, because it, it can easily happen. But I have very strict rules around it, that, that not being the case and it needs to be a place of genuine support and friendship. And mm. um, my members res have respected that. And, and if anybody, um, you know, does do the wrong thing, I think we've only ever had about two people, um, we will remove them from the group. And mm. I think that it's important to do that as well so that it protects those that are there to be nurtured. So, um, yeah, it's an absolute joy. So that's, um, that's you know, how I guess it's evolved in, into this, this new life and found real purpose. And I think that was the key, finding new purpose is just so important. When you had a purposeful life, it mm -hmm. had to change. You've got to find, you've got to find new purpose. There's a, there's a quote too from C.S. Lewis, which is fundamental to my group and to my writing in general, which is, you know, friendship is born in that moment when one says to another, what, you too? I thought I was the only one. And I absolutely love that because it's just, it's just so beautiful when that connection happens, you know, when you're starting to talk to someone, it's like, oh, my goodness, you get it. You know, I thought that no one else would. And that's um, the essence of the forum and that's what people get when they join. It's like, oh, my goodness, there's a whole heap of people here that get me. You know, and it's just... Yes. Um, so lovely to see the yeah. realization in the new members that join when that happens for them. It's it does help so much to not feel alone and to realize there's other people out there that have similar conditions, even rare ones. Yeah. And yeah. it may be, there may be fewer of them for the rare, but they're out there and they are dealing with similar instances. How do you maintain the perspective, especially during challenging times, like your last hospitalization, for instance? when you have been bedridden permanently and not even really knowing if you would be coming out of it? Yeah. Look, I, I have to say that was probably the worst of what I've been through. Um, it just, it really wasn't easy. At, at the time as well, we were in COVID. The hospital was in lockdown as well for two weeks. So my husband couldn't come and visit yeah. me. Um, and I think 
that two weeks was the hardest time in my life. I, I have, in terms of, of chronic illness, I just, I just couldn't sort of see where we were going, and neither could my medical team. They just couldn't work out what to do next. I mean, the idea was that I would go into rehab, but um, my body wasn't even responding to anything that they would have even used in rehab. They, we just couldn't physically get it to move um, from sort of the waist the waist down. Um, it was just awful and I'd never experienced that before. And they so they were actually looking at if I couldn't get out of the bed, um, putting me in a nursing home. Mm-hmm. And that's not something that I wanted to do. And it's not something that my specialist team wanted to do either. So, yeah, so it was really quite scary. And I have honestly, Melissa, never cried so much during those two weeks. I couldn't stop crying. <laughs> I felt so bad because usually every time my specialists come in the room, we'd always have a good laugh. Like that's just a relationship I have with them. Mm-hmm. They'd walk in the room and look at me and I'd just start sobbing and I'd be going, oh, I'm so sorry, I don't want to cry. I don't know what's wrong with me. Oh. And I just thought, oh, damn, get a grip. What, you know, this is you're going to get through this. And didn't matter how much self-talk I did, I just, I just, I was exhausted. I was just, mm-hmm. you know, I, I couldn't. I was eating, lying down. I was bed bathing. I going on. I mean, we knew that um, the scans showed that I had a pelvic fracture, so we knew that that had happened. We knew that my nerves were compressed, and my surgeon kept saying to me, my orthopedic surgeon kept saying. I think, you know, we're just going to treat this conservatively because one of the problems is they need to put a a rod up my spine. If they could do that, a lot. But because of the bone disease, the integrity of my bones is such that they can't do it because it just won't hold. And the grafting that they need to do, take, and then I'm at extreme risk of infection and death, really. Basically, that's the bottom line that they've said. So I completely agree with them. I honestly don't want more surgery anyway. It is a life of having to manage the, the symptoms and the circumstances. So, so that was a problem in hospital and it was just a matter of we just have to hope that some of the things that have gone wrong might start to heal, but we have no idea how long that would be. And um, and as my orthopaedic surgeon has said, we also don't know if I won't have another one of those episodes as well. So I'm living with that over my head as well of like because mm. literally on the, on the day that it happened, I woke up at 3 o'clock in the morning and I could use my crutches and get to the ensuite. Two hours later, I couldn't move. Mm. And I was only lying in bed. I hadn't done anything. So, you know, that, that was, again, one of, like, when the, like the femur leg breaking, it was that kind of incident. It was just crazy. But there was a turning point. And I think this is why I want to give people hope. There is always a turning point in a crisis. And... For me, the physios had been bringing in equipment that they use, like machines that help you stand up. Mm. I couldn't even do that because in my case, I the nerves were either numbing me or creating severe pain. And then, of course, I had the pelvic fracture as well. So as they were trying to get me to get onto this machine to be raised up, the pain was excruciating. It was like I could feel all the bones shifting. Couldn't actually go through that, which they suddenly realised. And the other thing was when we were trying to get me onto the side of the bed to sort of sit up with the help of physios, they were doing it in a really slow process 
And as we were going really slowly through that process, again, it was allowing the kind of the bones that were shifting, if you like, to um, to shift slowly and trap things on the way. So I could feel that happening. So to try and explain that yes. to people that couldn't see what was happening internally, but I could feel it. They were listening and they got what I was saying. But, you know, we had to, they had to kind of mentally think it all through as well. Anyway. There was a turning point. I was lying on the bed because I couldn't do anything else. <laughs> and I thought, I'm just going to put music on. So I was playing some of my the music that I love. And I was just lying there and I thought, you know what, I need to do this differently. I need to get the physios to allow me to have a go in the way that I would normally get out of bed in the morning, which was never slow. Like I kind of have to flick myself off the bed and get up on the walker. That's how I've always kind of had to do it. If I try and do anything slow, it just um, it just makes it worse. So just lying there and I thought, I'm just going to visualise me getting up. It's not something that I would particularly normally do, but I, I guess, it's, you know, it's a form of meditation, I guess, you know, of like, okay, I'm just going to lie here and think about getting up. And as if I was at home and how would I do it? And I spent probably about two or three hours just doing that, listening to music, really enjoying myself, allowing the music to just infiltrate my heart and, and just visualising getting out of bed. Anyway, next morning the physio came in with no equipment and I thought because the day before they tried to get me off the bed and I got stuck and mm. they just didn't know what to do. I was in screaming agony. The nurses came running and I am not one to precise you know or be dramatic it's just not me I just don't like it I couldn't I, I was so embarrassed that I couldn't stop screaming but we couldn't get something had locked and we couldn't unlock it and mm. but we, oh, it was just horrible <laughs> my husband had actually been visiting on that day too and he's standing there thinking oh my goodness what on earth is happening to her and it was just oh. awful but I actually traumatized my physio would you believe <laughs> he couldn't sleep that night he just felt so bad he came in the next day and he had no equipment with him and I had the day before as I said been visualizing you know getting up and I said to him before you say anything I said can I just run a scenario past you and he said yep he said I'm all ears he said as you can see I've brought nothing with me today he said because I have nothing Sam he said I don't know what to do <laughs> and I said okay I said this is what I want to do I said I don't want any help I just want you to stand there and be in the room and I want to see if I have the walker in front of me, if I really quickly swing my legs off the side of the bed and then just get straight up on the walker without thinking, like just do it, I want to see if I can because I think I can. I said I know it's going to be painful and I know it's not a you know long-term solution but I just feel like if I can do that we'll be breaking, breaking the back of this situation. And he just looked at me and he said, you know what? He said, I'm just going to trust you. He said, you just know your body so well. He said, let's just give it a go. He said, we've got, we've got nothing to lose. Okay. So I said, okay. Then I said to him, just let me just lie here for a minute and just think about that again. Yeah, just let me get my head into the right space. Anyway, which he did. <laughs> so I laid there for about a minute. And then I just went, right, I'm doing it. And I did. I just went really wow. quickly. And I stood up and I was shaking all over. My my legs were hardly holding me. But we both cried. I have it was just an amazing moment of five weeks of not being able to move and just 
actually standing up. It was incredible. I just thought I was never going to be able to do it again. And I knew that, you know, I was far from being able to do much at all. But to be able to do that, honestly, Melissa, it was just an incredible moment. And then I had to flick me, get back on the bed. And then he said, do you want to have another go? And I went, yeah. <laughs> he, said, he said, are you in a lot of pain? And I said, well, the weird thing is, as soon as I lined my spine and laid straight, the pain would dissipate. It was only when I was trying to move through whatever was um, trapping the nerves and, and where mm. the break was in the pelvis, it was that that was not allowing me to stand or, or do, you know, to do much at all. So I guess by five weeks, when I think about it, the pelvis had probably started to, to knit a little bit, which mm. is probably why I was able to um, do what I did, which I would not have been able to do, you know, on, on week one, obviously. But um, anyway, so I did it again. And then he said, um, and then I was shaking all over, and he said, do you want to try and take a step forward? And I went, yeah. <laughs> so we started to take a couple of steps, and then he said, okay, are you going to keep going? Or he said, because I'm not sure that you should. And I said, well, maybe I should just take a couple of steps back to the bed. <laughs> so, um, just with expectations we, again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but. Um, and then I got back on the bed and he just said, right, he said, then that's it for the day. He said, that's amazing. He said, you're not moving for the rest of the day. He said, but that's amazing. And then each day we just did a tiny bit more. But the issues were able to stand for longer than a minute mm -hmm. and to be able to shower according to their regulations, you have to be able to stand for two minutes. Um, so there were things like that that had to be ticked off the list before I was able to be, um, I guess, taken out of the nursing home danger zone yeah all of all of that and then, but then I eventually started to walk a little bit further and I was able to get out of my room and walk up the ward um the ward place but I couldn't I still couldn't sit up um so in terms of transportation um even to get home which I eventually convinced them to let me do. I had to come home by ambulance. And if if I was, even now, if I have to go to a major appointment, I would have to go by ambulance or um, our car seat has to be put right back, you know, those kind of things. The, the, it was, a, it was, it gave me hope, Melissa. It just gave me hope. Just that little thing was, was amazing. And then the next step was, um, they couldn't get a position in the rehab anyway because I had to have, they wanted me to have a private room because of my stoma and because of the complications of movement, et cetera, and um, the rehab at the hospital was booked up. But I did a bit of research and found that the hospital offered rehab at home and I spoke, started speaking my, to my specialist with a plan. I put a plan together and said, you know, and again, this is about taking action and taking control mm -hmm. of your, your own circumstances. I worked out what was available to me and what I could perhaps do at home so I could be released from hospital and have my hospital care at home, which I thought would give me a better sense of healing. Mm -hmm. And I was right, it did. I convinced them that, yes, I could do the hospital care at home. They put it all in place for me. And um, I was just, I had six weeks of basically full hospital care at home after that, which was just amazing. And I think was the real key to me being able to be where I am talking to you now, really. In some control and, and um, 
not being afraid to do that. I think as well, and I talk a little bit about this in my blog and in my book about the doctor-patient relationship. Sometimes, and that's a big subject and we won't go into it today, but sometimes, you know, we do feel like the doctors are gods and um, that we have to listen to everything that they say and um, and not have an opinion. Lots of people think that. And I talk about it in a different way, that in, to a large degree we're employing them, mm-hmm. you know, that we're, we're choosing to a degree. Um, and I don't know in, in, other, in public systems you don't necessarily always get a choice, but you still, you know, they're not going to have a job if they don't have you as a patient. Right. And I think that if we flip that kind of thinking, then they need you as much as we need them at the end of the day. And it needs to be a team. You need to work as a team. A huge, a huge improvement from where I was. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, again, you know, as I said, it's about accepting your circumstances, finding ways to um, find a bit of hope in what feels like a hopeless situation. And um, if they don't want to listen to your voice, then they're not the right doctor for you. Um, you know, we need to be able to say what, what we think might help in our, in our care or what we, you know, and be able to express what's happening to our bodies as well um, mm-hmm. and not be afraid to say, well, you know, maybe we're not the best fit for each other and we might need to find somebody who's a better fit. So um, I think that's really key as well in terms of, um, yeah, in terms of coping and, you know, Absolutely. dealing with those challenging times. Yeah. Those challenging times. Yeah. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm floored. I love the story is incredible. And the the fact that you're sitting before me is, is, is yeah. amazing. Yeah, it is. It is an absolute miracle. And yeah, and now I can, I can sit up for, um, you know, for quite long. I mean, I'm, I'm in a really comfortable chair and that really helps and it, it allows me to go backwards and forwards. So that really helps. And again, it's if you're going to do something, you mentioned a little bit earlier about, um, you know, sometimes, you know, we just need to do the things that we want to do. And you're absolutely right. And if there's something that I want to do, like I wanted to do this with you today. And um, so by hook or by crook, I'll do it, you know, and if there's consequences and I need recovery time, well, that's fine. That you know that, you know, you know that if you're doing something because you want to do it and it brings you joy, there might be you might need to plan that there's going to be a recovery period or whatever, and that's okay. And yeah. giving you giving yourself permission to do that is really important as well and not beating yourself up about it. And I guess during that recovery time, focusing on the fact of, well, you know what, I'm recovering because I've just done something that I've really, really enjoyed and that was really important to me. And that's, um, that's you know, how I deal with those situations as well. But just never lose hope, you know. There's always hope even if it feels like a hopeless situation. I Sometimes when I have been, circumstances have been as like that at, at their absolute blackest, it's often, it's often around the corner. There's something really quite amazing that's about to happen. That's always been my experience in life. It's, you know, we all go through horrible things, but, um, you know, often it's a turning point for something better or something different that, going to bring joy in a different way or, or or excitement or you know um release if you like in a different way so yeah don't lose hope That's a, yeah always hope and I know spirituality is a large part of what helps you cope yeah. and I know many chronically ill people including myself um have had a difficult time managing faith as we deal with our condition and our pain yeah. what has helped you to maintain your faith throughout your journey it, you know, that's a huge question and, and you're absolutely, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's right. You're a big one down right. there. Yeah. You got <laughs> yeah. five minutes, so I'm just kidding. <laughs> okay. No, that's good. <laughs> I guess, look, I guess for me, Melissa, I, I, I don't blame God. You know, God mm-hmm. hasn't changed. He's constant. <laughs> um, and and I, I have a view that we, we, none of us are here permanently. You know, at some point in our lives, we are all going to die of something. And, you know, we talk about, you know, healthy people talk, talk often like, you know, they're going to be healthy for the rest of their lives. Well, I hate to tell you, but you're not, you know, <laughs> at some point. And that's the reality of life. It's, and um, so I guess for me, you know, God hasn't changed. It's my body has changed. And he didn't cause, I don't believe he caused my disease. I don't believe God allows sickness or causes sickness. It is just a fact of life, you know. But, you know, as I said, you know, we all do, we all will at some point in life have a disease. But I've had so many amazing moments through my disease. It's actually strengthened my faith. I touched on a, a little earlier when my the day my femur broke Mm -hmm. and I mean this is a good pointing case I guess you know I hadn't seen my auntie I I was born in the UK and my parents migrated over here when I was three so you know I have heaps of family in in the UK and a a smaller family here in Australia and seen my auntie since I was 18 I went back to the UK when I was 18 uh, for a visit and um, she's also my godmother believe it or not and hiring as a registered nurse and she thought it would be a great opportunity for her to come out to Australia and have a holiday and and she brought my cousin with her her youngest son he's a a police officer in the UK as well Uh, I was so excited to meet him he was a baby when I when I first saw him as well so it was going to be such an amazing reunion and we've been planning it you know for weeks and weeks and weeks and weeks and um I didn't even know if I'd be able to get to the airport to pick them up. At that point, I, um, you know, as I said, I had rheumatoid arthritis and I had the stoma. I had just medically retired. I was using a cane to get around and I'd been having terrible pain in this left leg. And um, I'd already started having foot fractures. So we kind of thought something was going on. Mm. And um, so anyway, the the pain was really quite horrible. But the the x-rays apparently... um, we're okay so everybody was saying oh it looks like it's just muscular pain um you know probably because of the foot fractures and the pressure on the leg and they put me in a moon boot which had I know my femur was going to fracture was the last thing I should have been in but anyway um we went I managed to get to the airport and they came in at like I think it was one o'clock in the morning so it was a huge big deal for me to even you know get there we met them at the airport. It was just so beautiful. We brought them home. I'd, I'd had a supper all laid out on the table because I thought they're going to be hungry. And, you know, so at four o'clock in the morning, we're all sitting around eating sandwiches and drinking tea. And it, I felt like, you know, I'd only just been with them the day before. You know, family is family. And it just felt so beautiful to have them there. <laughs> so it's about 4.30. We thought we probably should go and get some sleep. So we all went up to bed. It was really weird. About five o'clock in the morning, it was October, so we were in our or in spring, and the birds went really weird outside. I, I can't explain it. It was just like they were louder than they'd ever been, and they kind of had this anxious cry. And I remember I'm thinking, that's really weird. It's just I don't know. It just felt really weird. Anyway. It was about then another hour or so. I could hear some rustling downstairs, and I thought, "Oh, my auntie must have got up, so I'll get up and we'll go down and have breakfast." And my cousin was absolutely shattered, and I didn't think we'd see him to probably the next 
day. <laughs> so I wasn't worried about him. Um, anyway, we went downstairs and, and she was down there. So we sat down and we had breakfast outside because it's just beautiful weather. And, um, and then my cousin did end up coming down, actually. And, and we were sitting there having breakfast. And my auntie said, you know, I have a feeling today is going to feel like the longest day ever. And I thought she's probably right, but I didn't realise quite how prophetic that <laughs> sentence was going to be. So I said, look, let's shall we go and get dressed and we might as well make the best of the day and, you know, we're all tired, but let's go out and do something. And that was the moment. I went upstairs and I literally, the, my bedroom door was shut and I held onto the handle to open it and I just felt, it's weird. I, I didn't feel pain. My leg went like jelly, but <clears> I just, knew that it had broken and I don't even I'd never had a broken bone like that in my life so I had no idea how I knew but I didn't move which was probably a blessing I hung onto the door and I remember just yelling out Peter my husband's name Peter my leg has just broken my auntie came rushing up the stairs because she's a registered nurse she knew what to do and this is where the absolute amazing moment was because she could get me on the ground with Peter she knew to put pillows between my legs. She knew how to position my body. And it also allowed Peter to go and ring the ambulance. So you can imagine if we had been on our own, he wouldn't have known how mm -hmm. to get me down. My femoral artery could have severed. Um, I could have bled out and that would have been the end of it as a result because the break was so bad. Um, whenever they, when eventually the ambulance guys came, the bone moved through the skin. It was just incredible. It was just awful so and then on top of that stoma and being in shock it went into overdrive so you can imagine what I was dealing oh. with there as well and so because my auntie was a registered nurse no problem she just gathered all my equipment and there we were changing my stoma together I'd only just been with her for nine hours after 30 years and I said to her, well how's this for bonding today <laughs> auntie you didn't know you're coming for a second second career I, in Australia I know. And, you know, uh, yeah, it was just amazing. And, and we we just, yeah, got such an amazing bond after all of that. Ambulance guys came. We ended up with two ambulances in the in our front driveway because um, they needed a trauma one once they'd had the ordinary one because they didn't know what they were dealing with. You can imagine the streets were lined with onlookers all wondering what nerves was sure. going on. So. <laughs> it's just all. But, you know, talking about my faith and God and for me, that moment was incredible for her to come all the way from the UK and that moment when I needed her most. To me, that is God in my life looking mm -hmm. after me and providing in a way that I didn't even know I needed provision for. So, yeah, how has it changed my faith? It strengthened it. It's just absolutely strengthened it because I see in those moments that I could never have organised that. <laughs> it was just, just incredible. That was definitely incredible. I know that, you know, I have struggled. I was very angry for a very long yes. time and the anger overrode any of that ability to see any of the other things because I was so angry and I did have some instances where people would try to heal me, you know, like yeah, healing, yeah. you know, by touch or, or by prayer. Yeah. And it ended up as well-intended as everybody was, you know, when it didn't work. And of course <laughs> we all want it to be gone and, and they would just 
lay hands and then it didn't go away. And they look at me puzzled, like, well, you know, maybe your face not strong enough. And it took me a long time to come to a different perspective than I did now. You know, I won't fully always grasp why I had to go through everything. We never will. I mean, that's just, for me, it's just, we live in an imperfect world and imperfect things happen to us, but it's how we respond to that. And in that response is where he kind of comes in and helps and how we respond to what we're dealing with. It's, it's a, it's not an easy thing or task. And there was a lot of ups and downs for me. And, uh, you know, I'm still not fully connected. Well, you touched on Melissa, the really important point in terms of healing and that, that sense of, you know, if somebody, and and, and I've had many, many people obviously praying for me and praying for healing Mm and it hasn't happened in a physical sense. And I, I talk again about this in my book and in my blog, but I have a very wide view on healing in terms of what God can do, does do, doesn't do. But mm-hmm. I think healing can come in many, many forms. And I don't think that it's necessarily always physical. I think in my case, it's been a healing, but it's been in a way allowed me to accept what is happening to me and given me um, the ability not to become severely depressed because this happened to me and I, I've had, you know, professional um, psychologists say this to me as well, you know, they can't believe that I'm not severely <laughs> depressed. Um, and I can't sometimes believe that either. Uh, because I'm over here in awe, let's just say that, because <laughs> I, don't, I don't know how you do it all. I'm, I'm in awe. And so for me, I think that is God's grace and healing on my life. And you and I spoke about this previously about, you know, it can be quite glib to say, you know, everything happens for a reason and there's a purpose and, and, and that, that's great. But I think in my case, it's not, I don't think this has happened to me so that I can do what I'm doing, but mm. I think that the healing that I've, if you like, if I, if I can call it healing, the healing that I've received in terms of being able to accept what's happened to me mm-hmm. has allowed me then to have a new purpose in my life in terms of doing the writing and the blogging and helping other people because that's a passion of mine. That's something that I love to do. Um, and so, you know, I think if I was so self-focused on my own woes, I wouldn't be able to do that. You know, it just wouldn't, I just wouldn't be able to give. Healing comes in different ways and it doesn't have to be physical. And I think that, you know, for, for people to, to judge our faith or our level of our faith based on our illness is wrong. It's just mm-hmm. absolutely wrong. For people who are severely ill and who have a faith, to be quite honest, I'm in awe of lots of people like that. And because I think their faith is incredibly strong because otherwise, you know, they would be sitting in a corner with that sooner over there. It's quite easy to have strong faith when you're healthy and things are going well, if you like. But, you know, how would those people who are perhaps praying for you even, who perhaps don't have the struggles, um, and maybe they do, I'm not, you know, some of course. do, but um, often, you know, it, it's the people that, that don't 
and how will they respond if something happens in their life that's difficult and I think we always have to be mindful of of that with with whatever we do in our church work as well you know just really really care care for the person but yeah I don't know why does God heal some people physically and others you know that is a million dollar question that I really don't have the answer to and I think it's that thing of sometimes we perhaps don't need to ask those questions we just need to have faith that God will do what's right for us in our lives and if we have a heart to allow him to do a work in our life then amazing things can happen or we can be given insight to see the amazing things that happen like understanding that he brought my auntie over here to help me in that moment when I needed her most so I made after that event all those little connections um, were made in my mind and that for me was a god moment when it was like oh my goodness what a provision if your heart is open to see the circumstances around you and to join the dots I think that's when we can see god working in our lives despite our circumstances does that make sense yes it does it's just you are truly like an inspiration an incredible person human being and we are lucky lucky to have you as someone who speaks for us in a sense brings us together connects us I mean we're just very lucky to have you Melissa, you're doing an amazing job. So thank you. (laughs) But I mean, you really do. You bring such a light and humor and kindness to what you do. And you're always so thoughtful. Even when we were preparing for this, you're just so thoughtful and how you want to answer and what you want to say. And, and it's just, it's something we need more of in our world. I mean, we need it. And I hope that if you want to learn more about Sam, which I think you would, because she's fascinating, as you can tell, and more stories than anybody, we can't tell them all here on the show. Or if you want to know more about the Medical Musing with Friends support group, you can go to her website. And I will include that in the episode description, but it's my med, M-E-D, musings, M-U-S-I-N-G-S dot com. I also would highly recommend you picking up her book. It's being sold on Amazon and it is called My Medical Musings, A Life of Love, Laughter, Faith, and Hope as I Learn to Live Again with a Rare Disease. I can't I can't thank you enough, Sam. This has been fantastic. You have been oh, my a wonderful guest. Um, I'm just honored that you came on the show. And thank you to all my listeners for tuning in. And I hope you tune in next week as we talk to another amazing warrior. And I want you to remember you are not alone and you are not your pain. Like the show? Please subscribe and leave a review. Or do you want to be a guest? Simply email notmypain at heroescircle.org. Again, that is notmypain at heroes, H-E-R-O-E-S, circle, Org. Your story matters, and we look forward to hearing from you. Hi, this is Keith. I am a martial arts therapist at the Hero Circle, a global healing and wellness initiative inspired by the children of kids kicking cancer. Would you like to discover the power of your breath while fueling the purpose of thousands of sick children across the globe? Simply check out our free adult meditation catalog at herocircle.com dot org forward slash meditations.
To learn more about our program and our inspirational little heroes, visit our website at heroescircle.org. From all of us at the Hero Circle, we wish you a wonderful day. Power, peace, purpose.